Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. Our guest today is Karen Barbido. She is the Special Projects Coordinator at Support After Abortion, an organization whose mission is to end the demand for abortion through healing people impacted by abortion. In this episode, Karen shares her own abortion healing story, the connections between sexual brokenness and abortion, the hope of healing after abortion, specific stages of healing, and also how abortion impacts men. To learn more about Karen and the resources provided by Support After Abortion, visit supportafterabortion.com. For additional healing resources, visit bebroken.org or check out links in today's show notes. And please rate and review the podcast after listening. This helps other people find it. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries, and Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Now, let's dive into today's conversation with Karen. Well, all right, Karen Barbito, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, well, I'm excited about this topic, if I can say it that way, because uh, I think about just the 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 cultural moment, the historic moment that we are even in our in our society around the issue of of Roe versus Wade, and and just um, the whole topic of abortion seems to be so front of mind. I'm so excited to be able to have you on here because I want our listeners to be able to uh, to hear from a real person. Uh, a real story. And so I'd love for you to just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about what, you, what you're doing right now in this space of ministry. And then I'd love for you to just share your own personal story. All right, I, I can do that. Um, so my name is Karen Barbito. I've held just about every position at Support After Abortion except the CEO. Um, I was one of the very first people that started Support After Abortion with our president of our board, Janine Marone. And um, I was hired just to figure out what if abortion healing existed and how people were doing it. So fast forward to today, I'm the special projects manager at Support After Abortion. And what we are doing, we've, we've prepared for this time of the overturn of Roe versus Wade. And so we have a three C pillar, actually four C pillar of our vision or a mission, I guess, which is to be the catalyst to promote compassion amongst people, to build collaboration amongst providers, healing providers, and to increase collective capacity. Because as you said, you know, abortion is being talked about unlike it's ever been talked about before, and Mm. people are being triggered, and people are coming out for help. And if we don't increase the numbers of people that we can serve, we're never going to be able to match the potential of who we could be serving. So Mm. that's kind of where we are um, in our organization today is we're we're trying to build capacity. So we are trying to teach ministries, pregnancy centers, churches, how to facilitate abortion healing programming so that they can serve more people. Mm-hmm. And we all can serve more people. That's great. And, um, and I'm curious, was it through your own story that you got connected to this or was that something kind of parallel? No. So I was hired in 2017 to work for a pregnancy center and well, so to back up just a little bit, Janine Marone had this vision. She wanted to she wanted to elevate abortion healing because she knew that the healing after abortion was as important as that pregnancy test and that conversation if it was an abortion-minded woman. Because the statistic that we know is true is that 50% of the abortions performed are performed on somebody that's already had one. 
So if we could connect them to healing before they made that second decision, the likelihood that they would make that decision again is drastically reduced. So it was a prevention model, right? A prevention as far insofar as we want to heal somebody who's had an abortion. So she had a vision to have somebody dedicated to abortion healing in the southwest coast of Florida. So in 2017, I applied for a job at a pregnancy center. I was out of work. I needed a job. Um, and I used her as a reference on my application. And when the CEO called her, Janine said it was a part-time position. But like I said, I was out of a job, so I was willing to take whatever. And um, Janine said, you'll never keep her part-time. And she goes, why don't I pay the other half of her salary and we'll have her do this abortion healing work that I want to have done? So that's how it started. I was hired part-time. Within three months, I was full-time doing abortion healing. And what we found was that most every pregnancy center did it the same way. They offered two small groups, one in April, one in October, helped about four or five people per group, and all of it was Bible study forward, right? Mm -hmm. So then we just launched a research campaign to try to find out what consumers really wanted. And after several rounds of consumer research, we think that we know what people are looking for. Yeah. Now, do you have a personal connection to this? I do. You know, I always say that God never wastes our pain. He puts purpose to our pain. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do have a why behind my what. Um, When I, I mean, looking back on my life, I, I make this joke um, that I just came out of the womb wrong. Mm. I just wasn't right. I mean, at a very early age, I can remember letting my brother's friends touched me in really inappropriate sexual ways. Like when I was six years old, Mm. you know, and I, and I never at that tender age, I never gave it any thought, but we're going to come back to that because I've had epiphany since I've gone through healing. And so I was very promiscuous as a, as a kid, um, had sex at 16, um, didn't have any identity of my own. I was like a chameleon. So I would be and do and say whatever you wanted me to be, do and say, because I wanted to fit in. I lacked Mm -hmm. all kinds of confidence, but I would never let you know that because I didn't want you to know how insecure I was. So I hung out with the druggies in school. I'm pretty smart so I can hang out with the smart kids. I was a a baton twirler. So I hung out with the band people, you know, like I would just try to force myself into all these different groups just so people would think that I fit in where I didn't feel like I fit in at all. So I go off to college. Um, I started getting secret admirer letters from somebody. Now, this is a long time ago. So they had somebody stuffed your mail into your little mailbox. And so I tried everything to find out who was leaving me these letters. And they were sweet. They were like, you walked into the room and you brightened my day. Um, it might be creepy today, but it was, you know, 40 some years ago, it was really sweet. And um, so finally, my my secret admirer um, revealed himself on Valentine's day. We were having a party and I, I had fallen in love with this person without ever having met him or her. I didn't even know who they were coming from, but when he revealed himself to me, it was instant. I mean, I knew him, he was funny. We hung out together. um, And it wasn't long after that, that I got pregnant by him. The thing that I've left out was that he was African-American, which made no difference to me, but my dad was a racist. And so I knew that if I told them that I was pregnant, number one, they would not let me have this baby. They would have me break up with him, send me to a different college or whatever. And so when I, I mean, I found out on a Wednesday, I had my abortion on Friday and I was back in class on Monday. Problem solved. 
the only thing is that my parents found out about the relationship over the summer. We didn't have cell phones then, so we wrote letters, you know, and I'd, I'd be out to the mailbox and intercept those letters that were coming in, but my mom found them under my bed because I was a stupid teenager. And uh, so they did everything that I thought they would. They sent me to another college. He just came with me. Um, they tried to make me break up with them. I told them that I had. And when they found out that I hadn't, when we were in the relationship for about three years, I decided I needed to tell them they disowned me. Mm. And so as so often happens after abortion, you interrupt me anytime you want because and, and, and keep me on point with the time. Okay. Um, as so often happens, relationships start to crumble or can really struggle after an abortion decision because we never talked about it afterwards. It never once was mentioned. And when our relationship started to go downhill, it just wasn't worth giving up my family anymore. So we broke up and I went downhill from there. Mm -hmm. I became very promiscuous. Um, I married a man I didn't really marry, didn't really love because um, I wanted to be a mom. And we tried for about five years, couldn't have kids. So we tried to, to adopt and it fell through the 11th hour. We drove seven hours to meet this girl and because um, she called us when she was in labor and we got there and she had changed her mind. Mm. And I can remember driving seven hours back home, sobbing the whole time. That was worse than not being able to have kids. And it was in that moment that I can remember saying to myself, I killed the only baby God had for me. Mm. I'm never going to be a mom. I'm never wow. going to be a mom. So fast forward, became an alcoholic behind it. My husband physically abused me for 11 years and I stayed. Um got hooked up with drugs and alcohol, have a criminal background, all that stuff. And all through my recovery, I was in probably nine rehabs, all through my recovery, nobody ever asked me on an intake form if I'd ever been pregnant. And so the turning point for me in recovery was finally a case manager recognizing that maybe I struggled with codependency. And so she gave me a workbook to work out and it was so confronting. There was like a three sentence description of what codependency is on the cover. And I couldn't even read it. I mean, it, it, it I had physiological manifestations and like my breathing would get deeper. I, I would start to break out in a sweat because it was so me. It was like I was looking in my own face in those words. And so that was the beginning of recovery for me because I got rid of the guy. I mm -hmm. didn't find my value in a guy anymore. So I went into recovery. I put myself in an accountable situation for like five years. And it was when I was in a halfway house that I went back to college for social work. I worked in the engine, nuclear engineering field and chemist, environmental chemistry field most of my life prior to that. And I, my priorities just changed. You know, it wasn't about climbing the corporate ladder anymore. It was about helping people who are going or have gone through similar things that I have gone through. So mm -hmm. I went back to college for social work. And at the time I thought I knew God, but I, I knew that I didn't like myself and I had no identity. In fact, I hated myself that I put myself through Bible boot camp. I took everything that I didn't disliked about myself, like individual words, horrible mouth, um, jealous, um, quick to anger, whatever. And I would look up scriptures that talked about those things. And I'd write it on the pieces of paper every morning and night. I had them glued all over my wall. I had them hanging from the ceiling. And um, I, I did that. I spent a lot of time in Proverbs. <laughs> I can tell you that in the beginning. And then um, I didn't know what kind of woman I was supposed to be. 
you know, I was in my forties at this time and I had no idea who I was. And so I went to the Bible again to find out what God had to say about godly women, you know, Esther and Ruth and all the amazing women in the Bible. And that's how I kind of started to develop some principles that I wouldn't compromise on what I believed in, who I wanted to be. And I, I mean, it's been 20 some years and I just, put one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, and tried to do the next right thing. And it was God that got me from who I was back there to who I am today. Mm-hmm. So grateful. So grateful. Yeah. Now, obviously, one of the things that um, that is woven in this is, is the issue of confusion around uh, who you are, right? Identity. Identity is so central. Um mm-hmm. Before we talk about that in terms of kind of the the healing journey that that looks like, going from lots of confusion, chaos, brokenness, to understanding of your true value and, and worth and, and how you live that out. I'm curious, going back to that uh, abortion, um, what was, you talked about finding out on Wednesday and having the procedure on a Friday what was, was that a mutual decision between you and your boyfriend? What was that like in terms of just the decision-making process there? How involved or not involved was he also in that? Well, I can be really intimidating at times, you know, and I had my mind named up. My, I had my mind made up. I mean, my roommate gave me the $200 that it cost for it. My boyfriend didn't say a word. He didn't, he didn't challenge me. He didn't, play devil's advocate. He didn't do anything of that, but I can understand why that would be because I, I was like, we're not talking about this. This is a done deal. This is happening. Right. Because I wanted to preserve that relationship. And, you know, quite honestly, when I look back on that, I wasn't pro-choice. I wasn't pro-life. I was pro-me. Right. It was one of, it was one of the most selfish decisions that I've ever made. Now, during my healing process, which we haven't talked about yet, I had a lot of anger towards my boyfriend for not challenging me, Mm. you know, for not speaking up for his unborn child. He had a voice. I just didn't let him use it. Well, let's go there. Let's go there. When was it that you really started to deal specifically in healing from that decision in your life? So I had my abortion in 1977. I was a freshman in college. Um, I, in 2017, I applied for a job at a local pregnancy center. Um, I was going to be the assistant to the director of one of the centers. And as it turned out, as we said, mentioned earlier, um, I was hired to do abortion healing as well. And so when I, when they offered me the job, they, Well, on my application, they asked, have you ever been pregnant? And I said, yes. Do you have any living children? So they found out that way that I'd had an abortion because I didn't lie about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said, well, you know, you're going to have to go through healing. And I'm like, healing, what's that? Nobody had ever mentioned that to me. I mean, I said, I've gone through all kinds of recovery, man. I'm good. I'm good. I cleaned up my side of the street, taken responsibility for all the wreckage that I've created, made my amends. You know, I'm good. And they're like, yeah, we know you're good, but you have to go through abortion healing. I said, okay. Man, I was not okay. I mean, I was totally not okay. Healing from an abortion loss is much different than doing any kind of substance abuse or alcohol recovery. Um, I've been in 12-step programs. I mean, it's just so much different. And the reason for that is because 
we participated in that decision. It wasn't done to us. It wasn't forced upon us. And there's so much shame. You know, people, one of our clients has said, you know, abortion today was socially acceptable, but nobody ever talks about it. I had shoved that experience so far down. I had no idea the lies that I had believed about myself for decades. Mm. I had told myself for decades that I'm never going to be a mom. But you know what? I am a mom. I am a mom. I conceived a child in my womb. I am a mom and I can't wait to meet her. (laughs) You know, I believe that she's in heaven. I believe it was a girl. God just revealed stuff to me. I don't want that to sound weird to the people that are listening, but, um, I, that alone was freeing. I hated mother's day. I never understood why. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about that process and, and, You know, I think in any kind of healing journey, whatever it is, physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological, there's always stages, right? There's stages that we go through in that healing. Where does abortion healing start? Like, what is the initial stage of, of healing? Um, usually somebody will be triggered by something or there will be some kind of um, emotional pain that they'll in they're, they're in and they'll reach out for help. The first stage is to reach out for help. You have to reach out for help in order to get the healing started. I've, I've done a lot of different programs and vetted out a lot of different resources. And typically they cover the same topics and usually pretty much in the same order. So I can take you through what that looks like. Usually in the first or second meeting that you would meet with uh, other women who have been impacted by abortion or maybe one-on-one with a therapist is you, you'd share your story. We'd encourage you to write it down from when you found out you were pregnant through the abortion and what happened after. And then we encourage you to read it out loud because writing engages a separate hemisphere of the brain than speaking does. And there's something that just breaks kind of that silence in that very first step. The second step is symptomology. Um, what kinds of things are you experiencing? PTSD kind of things, right? Um, are you depressed? Um, are you withdrawn? Do you isolate? You know, we just talk about what, how has your life really changed as a result of that abortion decision? Um, we talk about denial. How did we rationalize our abortion and that's a really important place to be because there's a lot of influence, a lot of external influences mm-hmm. that that support an abortion decision. So we have to break denial and talk about what those reasons were. Uh, and then we have to talk about anger. You know, we need to talk about anger and and who influenced our decision and and who are we angry at, including ourselves. Got to follow up anger with forgiveness, though, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't follow it up with forgiveness, you're never going to break through. And then we have to grieve our loss. You know, we, we have to bring dignity to that life. We have to spend a little bit of time in the what ifs. What if I had made a different decision? What would my life look like? What would the potential life of my child be look, look like, right? It's kind of like a vision of what it, how it would, could have been different. Um, that's not the reason we don't spend too much time there is because you can really get caught up in your head and it's a dangerous place to stay. Mm-hmm. So that's why a facilitator will help the progress to move forward. Um, in, in that situation, oftentimes you write a letter to your child or write a poem for them. Um, and then lastly, we have some kind of celebration of life. There's a whole bunch of different ways that you can do it. Um, we try to give naming certificates, um, maybe with a, some kind of 
um, instinct that the mother or father has pertaining to the personality of their child. Um, we have a garden where we plant flowers and video record it because we do most of that stuff virtually anymore. And we um, encourage people, if it's okay in their state, to get write a letter on a balloon and get mm -hmm. to a place where you can let go of it and watch it until you can't see it anymore. And that is where the transformation happens. Either if you're putting flowers in water and they're going to drift away, it's there's something about that watching something visually until you can't see it anymore that is almost like a handoff to wherever you believe your child is gone. Mm -hmm. And so that's pretty much what most abortion healing programs look like. Now, there's also um, retreats where it's like drinking from a fire hose, right? They right, try yeah. to pack six or eight weeks into two days, you know? And so it's like you walk out of there like with your head spinning. But, you know, with all the people that I've worked with, I've never seen the process fail. Yeah. Never once. So recognizing that everybody, everybody's journey is going to have a uniqueness to it, even though there's a general flow of these stages. Mm -hmm. What was that? What was your journey like in terms of kind of time frame for being able to feel like you could get to that release stage, like to be able to finally say, "I have, I have healed from this decision." Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, it it comes off in layers. You know, mm -hmm. I think growth and healing and um, mental maturity emotional maturity happens in layers. Um, so I did, um, I did my first one. Let me see. I'm trying to think of how many, I guess I did, um, two small groups, a one day retreat. I facilitated a whole bunch in between then, but I think when I knew that I was fully healed was when I went to what's called a deeper still retreat retreat. It was the most intimate encounter with God that I've ever had. And what was broken there was not the ties or the chains of my abortion experience. It had to do with my, my relationship with my dad. Mm. And I mean, I just had a breakthrough on that. My dad was still living at the time. I was really angry, um, just really angry at some of my dad's viewpoints. And um, it was during that retreat that all of that was resolved for me that I'm not the judge and jury that God is. And so- yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because even before we went on air here, we were both talking about kind of our own ministry philosophies of recognizing that when you get to something like a decision for an abortion or when somebody has the manifestations of a sexual addiction, those are those are the end fruit. But there's something at the root. Can you talk about some of the underlying um, roots of I can, abortion? I can. You know, it wasn't until much later um, that I even thought about this, but I can distinctly remember when I was five years old, around five years old, um, being at the dinner table, I have two older brothers and they asked for, um, seconds of mashed potatoes. And so they got their seconds of mashed potatoes. And I asked if I could have some And my dad said to me, I don't know if it was in these exact words, but this is the impression that I got from it. You're already too fat. You don't need any more. Mm. And I can remember at that day, that day starting to hide food in my room. I would get cookies out of the cupboard and then I put them underneath my pillow or wherever. I knew in that moment that there was something wrong with me, mm. that I was not as good as my brothers, that my dad didn't love me as much, that being fat was going to not be good. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to not be fat because all I wanted to do was to numb my feelings with food that I liked. I didn't know any of that at the time. It's only as an adult, I realized that. 
And I think it was in that moment that I started to just to doubt myself, to um, feel really insecure, to feel like I didn't fit in. And so I did everything that I could to try to convince myself that I was wanted, that I was worthy. And that's where the sexual, really inappropriate sexual contact came in at a very early age. That's how that whole chameleon-like behavior happened. That's why putting out was just so that I would feel accepted and part of. And was that some of the root behind also then some of the drugs and alcohol and all of that, just trying to kind of medicate or numb out? yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I started to drink when my husband was physically abusing me and that was a really stressful time. It was easier if I didn't feel as much pain, right? Like, and I, mm-hmm. I was like relaxed and um, with drugs, I mean, I did crack cocaine and that is just an evil substance. I mean, that was fear driven. You know, when you crack is very expensive, um, it lasts a very short amount of time. And when you look back on what you did in the last 24 hours and you've spent a thousand dollars and you have um, ripped off however many people and done all of these grimy freak show kinds of things, you know, like the only way that I could cope with that was to get high again, because then I didn't think about it, you know? So my life then was like getting high three or four or five days. And then I would pass out and crash for a few days, but I was watching my life spin out of control and I didn't know how to stop it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, as we're, we've got about five or six minutes left, and I really want to to lean into speaking to those in our audience who are where you have said so many uh, are in this in this topic, and that is they're just not talking about it. They've got this in their history. They've they've made this decision. I'm talking about also both the women and the partners. Can we? Can you? Can you give a message of hope or just? How do they take that first step? And let's talk a little bit too about the men, because we so many times the men are left out of the conversation around abortion healing. I'd be happy to do that. Um, listen, I mean, I know it's scary to talk about something that's so so private. I know um, many people feel like they're going to be judged for having an abortion. Listen, you can come to us at Support After Abortion because for us, it's not political, it's not religious, it's not moral, it's not even about the decision. It's about helping people that are hurting. You know, we can't operate at our full potential. The reason that God destined us and created us to begin with, unless we can let go of the chains and the shackles and all the shame that we have, there is no shame in what I've done in my life because I have been forgiven for that. It does not Mm -hmm. define who I am and I don't live my life that way anymore. So I can talk about it with no shame. I would love for you to, to have a private conversation with you, a confidential conversation, so that we can get you started on that road to healing and restoration. And men, you have been left out of the conversation for so long, but I'm telling you, there are there's a man for every woman that has an abortion story, and that man is struggling as well. He could have forced his girlfriend to do it. He could have not had a say. He might have found out about it after the abortion already took place. They have, they, have the, they have the right to grieve their loss as well. And I want to take it one step further. What about family members and friends, right? What if you're about your sister having an abortion? You, mm-hmm. have, you have suffered a great loss too, because that could have been a niece or a nephew that you could have developed a relationship with. So the ripple effect of abortion is, it's like if, when you throw a pebble in the water, you know how the waves go out, it ripples out to your coworkers at work. So listen, please don't stay silent anymore. Silence keep secrets keep us sick. 
And so talk to somebody about it. Find somebody that you trust, your pastor, your priest, a counselor, a therapist that doesn't know you and that has to keep everything confidential. But we're here for you. Um, we really want to help you. And I'm telling you, when you go through healing, your life will be changed forever. The emotional pain that you'll experience along that process is very temporary. I want to I want to talk briefly, too, about we mentioned before about identity, right? And how, how important it is in understanding really your value as being made in the image of God. How important is that in terms of really being able to shift the paradigm between what you were talking about in your own story earlier of where you felt like, hey, you're just a less than, you're a mess up, you are, um, you're not worthy, you're not valuable. And so therefore you're having to cling to all these other things externally to try to put value in your life and, and form an identity when in fact, it seems like what you discovered in your healing was God had already declared that value in you before you were born. Can you talk about how important it is in, in going on that journey of discovering that, that almost can feel a little bit separate from the abortion decision, but it's so foundational to the healing process? Yeah, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, you know, I, I, um, not that, but that they were atheists or anything like that. I mean, we would go to, to school on um, Easter or Christmas, so I didn't really have that foundation. But what was pivotal for me in developing an identity for myself when I was in my 40s, rather than as a teenager or a young adult when it normally happens, is putting myself through that Bible boot camp that we talked about. You know, that's where I really knew what my value was what God created me for and to be. It was much later for me in life, but thank goodness that I finally did that because that's the only way that I can sit in front of you today and really like the person that I've become because I've based it on God's word. Mm -hmm. You know, and, 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 and that's how my identity was formed. That might not be yeah. the answer that you were looking for, but I didn't have that foundation when I was young. Well, and I love how you said that because that's, that's why I think you can say today that you are not, you're not chained to the decisions born out of brokenness in your history any longer because you've been set free, not only through, hey, learning how to forgive yourself, but receiving the forgiveness from God. Like the fact that you are not, you're not condemned by him because he has made a way for you to be set free from all of that. Yes, Because uh, you, yes. you do not look like a person today that is drowning in the weight of, of shame or guilt. And so that's good Not to right. see that there is hope. There's hope to actually smile and actually have a full life um, that doesn't have to be chained to those historical decisions. Exactly. And, you know, another thing that I discovered through the healing process is that you can be sad and filled with joy at the same time. Mm. You know, there's moments when I think about my daughter and what my, how my life would be, and it's sad, but I'm still joyful. You know, you can't go through what I've gone through and not live a life of gratitude. I am grateful yeah. every day because I should not be here. Yeah. You know, and I'm grateful. I, I, on a, on a different scale, I can understand that because my dad died when I was 18. And so to have my family and my kids and all the seasons and stages, they're all grown now, but to have them go through all those stages and every single stage recognize my dad's not here. I'm sad, but I'm yeah. not living a joyless existence. It's almost like I'm kind of, and, and there's a way to even, allow that person to be part of the relationship with my kids, even though they're not here. 
So um, yeah. I get that joy sadness thing. As we yeah. wrap up, as we wrap up here, um, where can our listeners and viewers go to find out more about the resources that you guys offer? Awesome. So um, you can go to our website, www.supportafterabortion.com. Um, we have a training platform, which is there's a client portal. If you are considering abortion or if you've already had one, you can hear other people's testimonies. There's videos in there. Um, and there's a provider. If you're an abortion healing provider and you're listening today, there's a portal for you. And that is training.supportafterabortion.com. And we have a hope line. If you're a client looking for support on wanting to get connected to healing, our hope line number is 844-289-4673. That spells out the word hope. And if you want to get in touch with our headquarters number, I got to look that one up because I don't call that one very much. Um, the number is 833-403-HEAL. Yeah. So we'll get you plugged into our resources. Yeah. Well, we will make sure to have that all in the show notes, Karen. But thank you. Thank you uh, first for the work that you're doing, but also thank you for being open with your story. I think your story is going to build such a bridge for a lot of listeners who maybe just haven't had the courage to take that step of sharing a story that they've never told before. So thank you for being yeah. here. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. It was my privilege. I look forward to hearing from some of you. Yeah. Yes, listeners, we are glad that you've been with us and definitely reach out to Karen and her team. Um, it, this is such a vital uh, moment in our lives and in history right now. And I think uh, sometimes people can look at it through one lens of, of chaos and fear and all of that. But I think we can also look at it through another lens of great opportunity for healing and transformation to happen in people's lives. And that's what we hope for you. So please reach out and we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.